return of the midweeks. All right, my friends, we are back in the book of 1 Samuel. Last time we met Jonathan in the height of his glory, as he by faith begins the defeat of the Philistines who come out en masse to attack Israel and defeat it. And he and his armor bearer together start this battle that is a great victory for them. So now we're going to actually see the relationship between Saul and Jonathan and how Saul is going to sabotage the effects of Jonathan's faith here. Um, And also we're going to see Saul's descent further descent by his willingness to even punish Jonathan on this day of his victory here. So what we've been saying is that the book of 1 Samuel is about the theme, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So you can watch through this for people being proud or humble. We talk about the formation of the early kingdom and how the Israelites wanted a king like all the nations for their first king and that's what they got. So we're going to see that on display here. Um, We see the relationship between fathers and sons in this book. The kingship is all about uh, official role of leadership that's handed on from father to son. With the judges, that was the big difference, was that the judges were individually picked by God. But with a kingship, it's handed down father to son. So we're going to see how that plays out here. Usually there's a loss of faithfulness from a faithful father to a good son, but in this situation we see an unbelieving father and a believing son, and we're going to see how that works out. And we're also just going to be seeing how God handles himself in the lives of these people with their faith and unbelief. So we were did the first half of chapter 14 last time. We're going to finish off chapter 14 today. And the men of Israel were hard-pressed, this is verse 24, that day. So Saul laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it's evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. So this is the situation that sets up what the second half of chapter 14 is all about. The battle is tough, even though God's with them and he's giving them victory through Jonathan. It's still a tough battle. That's why the men are hard-pressed. And so Saul lays an oath on the people. This is meant to be some kind of leadership or to inspire them to battle, but just look at how foolish this oath is. So it's a curse on the man who eats food until evening. And then he says, until I'm avenged on my enemies. Now look what's going on here. Uh, An army uh, fights on its stomach. It marches on its stomach. It fights on its stomach. Underfed men are almost always destroyed in battle. And so it is just profoundly foolish to rob the men of food in the battle. They're exerting themselves, they're running after people, they're wielding weapons, they're chasing, they're fighting, they're sweating, and so to, or in just the idea of robbing them of food. But I guess he's just thought, this is like the beginning where he cut up the oxen and said, if anybody doesn't follow me, your oxen will be destroyed too. So he thinks that these, these painful threats of the people are the best way to lead them. But in this situation, the people are obedient. They don't taste food, but it actually, it turns out to really rob Saul of victory, even in the midst of God wanting to give Israel a victory. Then we also see into Saul's heart, it says, until I am avenged on my enemies. 
Now, who is Saul thinking about here? He's thinking about himself. It's me. I need to be avenged on my enemies. He's forgotten about the Lord. He's not leading Israel. We are avenged on our enemies or until we are avenged on God's enemies or God is avenged of his enemies. He's not thinking about the Lord. He's not thinking about the people. This has become personal, which might give us some insight into why he is willing to actually hamstring his people by keeping them from eating in the midst of this battle. He doesn't care about them. And this is the heart of Saul coming out. As he goes on and on, he's going to become more superficially, outwardly religious, but more selfish in everything he does. Verse 25, Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father's charge, the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb and put it to his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little bit of this honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found, for now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. We'll stop there. So the people are fighting, and they come to this forest, and everybody sees this honey. And you can tell that the honey's a big deal because it has the word behold. Honey was on the ground, and the people are in there. Behold, the honey was dropping, but nobody's doing it. So you kind of get this picture that as the army comes through, they're seeing this honey, and they just can't stop looking at it because they're hungry, and it's honey. Honey would have been a rare thing. In fact, I think any kind of sweets would have been fairly rare back then. You either had honey or you had figs and dates, but people weren't eating sweets very often. So here they are, they're half starved. They've been working hard and here's this honey right there and they can't take it because they're afraid of this oath. But you can tell because it repeats itself that the honey's on the ground and then the honey is dropping and the behold in both sentences that the people are captivated with this honey. They want it so bad. And here comes Jonathan. He didn't hear the oath. Why? Because he was out winning a battle. He wasn't hanging around with Saul, not winning a battle. He was out winning a battle, so he didn't hear this charge. And so he goes and eats the honeycomb, and it's so good. His eyes lighten up. He gets energy. He's excited. He's amazed. And then the people tell him, ah, you just ate, and your father had this curse. And Jonathan responds very honestly and so wisely when, you know, I've been saying as the speech of people in the Old Testament is meant to reveal their heart. It doesn't mean everything they say is true, but it reveals who they are. That's what speech does. It reveals who you are on the inside. And Jonathan is now, he's a man of faith who wins battles, and now he's going to be demonstrated as a man of wisdom and insight. And he's right. He says, my father's troubled the land. That's right. He says, look what happened to me when I ate this honey. That's right. That's true. It agrees with what the narrator said. Anytime people's speech agrees with what the, the their narration, the words of the Bible says, then you know that they're truth tellers. And then he says, it would have been better if everyone got to eat as they went, because now that the defeat of the Philistines has not been great. And he's exactly right. These, this hungry army has not had as great of a victory as they would have if they hadn't been hungry. And so um, he's exactly right and good for him. He's a wise man. He's a faith-filled man, and he's also a wise man. And he can see that his father has done a foolish thing and actually not helped out Israel. Verse 31. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, and the people were very faint. 
And the people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night, and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he had built to the Lord. All right, so here you have this scenario. They do have a battle. They, they're fighting. The victory hasn't been great because the people are faint. And so probably what happens is now it's evening. Remember the oath lasted till the evening. Now it's evening and people are so famished. that They're just eating the first thing they can get their hands on, the first animal. They kill it and they just start tearing into it and eating. They're just so starved. Now in Israelite law, you weren't allowed to eat the blood. This is all the way back to um, Noah, uh, because the life is in the blood, and so you're not meant to consume the, the life of the animal, just the flesh of the animal, and so all these animals are supposed to have been properly sacrificed with the draining of the blood, and now the fact that they're eating the blood, they're sinning against the Lord. And so the people come and tell Saul. Now again, um, how does he respond? Does he think, oops, whoopsie, I've star starved my army and now they're doing this? He actually accuses them again. You have dealt treacherously. So he's attacking them because they're starved because of this curse that he laid on them. And so again, he he's, he's just totally self-centered. He doesn't even see the bad effects of his own um, poor leadership here. And so he he does respond rightly, though, to get people to come and make this sacrifice here. In verse 35, it's interesting because it says that Saul built, this is his first altar he built to the Lord, which is not really a good thing. So he's building this altar because of his bad, his bad oath. And so it's okay maybe that he built it because the people then aren't drinking the blood, but it's not a great situation why he built it. It's not from faith. It's because he's trying to... Um, stop the people from sinning because he put them in a bad situation. Verse 36, then Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man alive. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, let us draw near to God. And Saul inquired of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. Okay, we'll stop there. So Saul rightly, that here's a good military choice. It's called pursuit. If you have a small victory, you want to extend it into a large victory by pursuing the enemy right away. Um, so if he, he's thinking the Philistines ran away and now they're sleeping for the night, and if we attack them in the night, we'll actually increase our victory and we'll be able to plunder them. That's good strategy. And the people are with him. Do whatever seems good to you. So they still have faith in his leadership. But the priest rightly says, and now who knows what's going on here. Maybe he's concerned about the sinning with the blood, but he he wants to inquire of God first and not be presumptuous, it seems like, because he probably knows that when people go into battle under presumption, they get defeated. That's the beginning of 1 Samuel. Remember when they brought the Ark of the Lord to fight the Philistines, even though they weren't right with God because of, again, issues of the food? Remember, it was uh, Eli's sons that were eating the fat, and probably Eli too, so they were eating God's offerings improperly. And now we have another eating situation where the people are eating with the blood. So they've got sinning by eating, and the priest here, I think, probably saves Israel by saying, why don't we inquire of God first and not just go presumptuously? 
So this is good. It's a great question, and it's necessary because God doesn't respond. So God doesn't answer him that day, so they know something's wrong. I'm not sure what that would look like practically, but they've discerned that something's wrong, and so they probably would not have had a blessing if they went into battle and would have been destroyed. So good job, priest. And good job, Saul, for inquiring here. But it's going to just really be apparent that Saul's not doing well as it goes on. Verse 38, And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he will surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. So here again we have another rash oath from Saul because he's just self-centered and he's thinking, well, my son, if it's my son Jonathan who sinned, he'll die. Like, and that's just so weird. Like, why would you say, why would you put someone else's life on the line about this thing? Why would you say, may somebody else die? Like, why not just discern who it is and then ask for mercy? But he's making death threats. So Saul's in the, the habit of making lots of death threats. And what we're seeing here is like just the selfishness of this king who's willing to put his own son's life on the line. And you're going to see that unfold even more when David becomes a son-in-law of the king and regularly is attempting to murder him. Um, There's just a thoughtlessness about the lives of his own sons going on here. And so this is part of how Saul is becoming like a pagan king, like a king of all the nations who are selfish men and are willing to destroy their own sons to protect themselves. That's unbelievable. That's the pagans. Um, And Saul is being like that here. And it's going to contrast later on. You'll remember that Jonathan will make an oath with David that David will actually take care of his sons when he becomes king. And so this is Jonathan's got the complete opposite heart of his father. His father's willing to destroy his sons. Jonathan wants promises for the protection of his sons. But the people don't answer, probably because they know what's going on and nobody wants to rat out Jonathan. Then he said to all Israel, you shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. So here they are, they're like, okay, but they're they're kind of, this is a cringy moment. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If the guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in the people, Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. So the priests would carry around these um, these bones or these, um, who knows, maybe they were clay something, but uh, Urim and Thummim. And so as I understand it, they would cast them on the ground and whichever side, it's like flipping coins, multiple coins, I think, whichever sides came up, more of that would be a God answering with a yes or no question or a this or that question. And so Saul probably right away thinks, you know, I, me and Jonathan, we're the good guys here. And so the people are the problem. And so he's not thinking that Jonathan's going to, be the problem. And so uh, he's just like, it's two versus us, you 100,000 people. Ha ha ha, you're going to get taken. But actually, it's Saul that's taken. And then he says, then Saul said, for 42, cast a lot between me and my son, Jonathan, and Jonathan was taken. And so Saul's probably thinking to myself, himself, phew, if it's not me. But then he says to Jonathan, verse 43, tell me what you've done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. 
So just think of the humility of Jonathan here. He knows there was the oath or he heard about it. He didn't sin intentionally, but he know he broke the oath and he's willing to die for it. So he says, okay, this is how justice is going to fall out for me. I'm ready to die. So just think of his faith and his bravery and his faithfulness. He's not arguing. He's not making excuses. He's not falling into self-preservation. What an honorable man and really a son that, that Saul is not really worthy of. Verse 44, and Saul said, God do so to me and more also, you shall surely die, Jonathan. So that phrase, God do so to me and more also, is an oath phrase, meaning like everything that I promised, God will just take, if God takes me out, if I don't take you out. So I'm surely going to do this, which again is another rash vow. And Jonathan is not killed. And so Saul's almost called down his own judgment on himself here. Everything bad that happens after this, Saul has with a rash vow called down the curse of God on himself unless he kills Jonathan and Jonathan isn't killed. So there you go. 45. Then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one head of his head fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. Okay, so it's at this moment, Jonathan's willing to die, and Saul is willing to kill him. Oh my goodness, he's willing to kill him. And then the people finally jump up. And the people stand against Saul and says, no, 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 wait, wait, what are you talking about? Jonathan just saved all of our lives. He saved our nation from the Philistines. How could we put him to death today um, when he just saved us? God's obviously with him, so he's he can't be under God's curse for death because God was just so with him. And so they ransomed Jonathan. And there was a way in the Old Testament where you could actually give money instead of uh, death. If suddenly someone's life had been forfeited by an oath, then you could actually pay money to rescue them. And so that's probably what happened when it says that people ransomed Jonathan. They probably paid money to the Lord to ransom his life. But the end result is that instead of pursuing the Philistines in the night like Saul wanted to do, um, Saul just went home. He went up from pursuing the Philistines and the people got away. So here are these rash vows, these three rash vows, rash vows about the food, rash vows about people dying, rash vows that Jonathan should die, all these rash vows coming together to equal the Philistines getting away. So the only reason that that Israel didn't have a greater victory was just because of Saul's poor leadership and poor choices because he's become selfish instead of selfless and faithless instead of faithful in this. Okay, so let's wrap this up. That's the end of that scene there with the Philistines getting away. And then we're going to have a summary passage. Now remember, summary passages are often there as like chapter breaks. They let you know that there's a transition in the story happening. And so this this wraps up um, Saul's kind of solo kinging and in the next chapter we're going to have a story of Saul getting fully rejected from the kingship for sure for sure as well as David becoming anointed so this this whole part of Saul being the king alone this chapter is wrapped up and it's going to be wrapped up by some summary verses and then we're going to get into the rise of David beginning in chapter 15 all right and so let's read these summary verses 
47. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines, and wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now remember earlier, God had promised that he would use this king to deliver Israel, and so God is faithful to his promises. Everywhere Saul goes to fight, he is, in some sense, victorious. He routes them. It doesn't say he completely defeats them. A route is when you win the battle, but you don't necessarily win the war. And so he routes the enemies everywhere he goes because God is with him. He's being faithful to his promise to protect Israel through the king. And that's good. And then in verse 48, it talks about striking the Amalekites. And in verse in chapter 15, we're going to hear about um, God calling Saul to totally take out the Amalekites. And so there's a bit of a, a hinting of what's coming next by taking the Amalekites out of that list of all the surrounding people and saying, he did valiantly instruct the Amalekites. We're getting prepped for the story of Saul and the Amalekites that's coming up. And that's often what these transition passages will do, is they'll kind of summarize the past as well as prepare you, give you foreshadowing for what's coming next. 49. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua. We don't really hear about those last two sons at all. And the names of his daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Merab, and the name of the younger was Michal. And now Michal is going to get married to David, so she's being introduced here. And later on, she she is married to David, and she's in a few stories, good and bad, about the life of King David. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. And Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner was the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Okay, so Abner's being um, introduced here, and Abner is going to become very important once David becomes king, and Abner is going to play politics in the house of Saul. And he's going to, for a while, be the commander of the army under Ishbosheth, but he's also positioning himself personally to take over Saul's um, kingdom against David and you can kind of see why here he's a family member in the house of Saul and so when Saul eventually dies Abner's going to think you know I do have a claim to the throne here and so but we're being introduced to him now again foreshadowing stuff that's going to be happening in the life of David in the second part of first Samuel as well as all of second Samuel and then verse 52 this is the last verse of the chapter there was hard fighting against the Philistine all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. And again, this, this, um, this habit that Saul has of attaching military men to himself because he's in constant war his entire life is again foreshadowing how David is going to enter into the life of Saul as a, a warrior that defeats um, Goliath, excuse me, and then Saul's going to attach him to himself because Saul has always been attaching great warriors to himself because he's always in battle. So there's again this foreshadowing about how David is going to enter into the life of Saul through this these summary, the summary section, these summary verses at the end of chapter 14. All right, so we're going to be done for today. This is a nice long one. I hope you're blessed. Um, a great lesson in the importance of our living faith with God and that we don't substitute um, shallow religiosity and we don't substitute the fear of man for true faith in God. Uh, Saul wanted to regularly 
lead the people not by his faith in God, but by their fear in him. And it was leading to these rash vows and this willingness to even do bloodshed amongst his own family members. And the end result was that the people, his own army was standing against him for his foolish plans. And so it just cost Saul to be such a man of uh, dishonest, religious dishonesty and faith unbelief. And so we're called to keep working on our integrity in faith and just be living these simple lives of faith in every situation, not depending on our own human strength, but depending on the Lord's strength to flow through our faith in God, through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. <laughs>